When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating, thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to an all-new bonus episode of How Bitches Are Made. I am your host, Rachel Melvin. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and that your week is off to a great start. We just got back from Pennsylvania where I had the time of my life. I got to live my dream, basically. <laughs> Spend somebody else's money while going antique shopping to decorate their house. And it was amazing. We'd never been to Pennsylvania before. It was just wonderful to explore and get out there and see all the things that the world has to offer, especially on a different coast, and spend some time with old friends while beautifying a space. It was just delightful. But we are happy to be home. I'm happy to be here with you right now. This week we're talking about community, so it's ever so appropriately timed considering we just spent time in a different community. And this week we're going to talk about why that is so important for us, why it's so important for our survival, and most importantly, why it's detrimental to our mental health. So without further ado, here's this week's piece. We often forget that saying goodbye prepares us for a new hello. We can't have more if at first we don't have the space to fill. This is something I try to remind myself of every time I notice I'm wandering into the parks of my past. I spend so much time in those gardens, mulling over the way things used to be and wishing I could once again reclaim what was somehow lost. Departed souls, unfamiliar friends, good times, favorite apartments, vacations. Every time I reconnect to an old friend, those gardens seem to bloom. Of course, it helps I'm giving them so much attention in the first place. It's no wonder the gardens of my present are barren as a result. I neglect them, missing what is, or could be, right in front of me. If only I took the time to nurture it properly. But I'm too distracted, worrying about the significance of old courses running and why they suddenly stopped for seemingly no reason at all. I've struggled to have community my entire life. After all, my parents moved us around a lot, every two years to be exact. Then I found myself gravitating towards unhealthy people, trying to save them as a way to somehow save myself. I lived in a transient city and worked on sets with a shelf life. Ultimately, I created boundaries, donned armor, and could no longer deny what had become my truth. My parents' neighbors recently had a birthday party for one of their children when I happened to be in town. They wanted to know why I preferred to stay home rather than join them, especially considering most of their neighbors are my age. This is when I told them what I'd learned about myself and radically accepted. I'm not sure if you know this about me, I told them, but I don't like being around large groups of people. I don't like interacting with large groups of people. I don't like people. 
blame it on being kidnapped once, taken advantage of, undermined, and manipulated one too many times by adults when I was young, or by my peers as I grew older, but I am deeply skeptical of humans. They either used or abused me, and it was coming to terms with this truth that from that point on curated the landscape of my circles. While I used to feel guilty and insecure about what's ultimately become social anxiety, especially when it came to facing fans, I eventually came to view it as an incredibly natural and safe disposition to have in this day and age, especially as a woman. It's protected me more than just physically, albeit the truth still hurts, so some degree of emotional pain was inevitable. My circle of friends has expanded and contracted more than three times throughout my life, for nearly every reason you can imagine. Finally, one took solid shape, and then a pandemic. My friends scurried about the country, fleeing the place they once felt chained to. Now, at least on a local level, I found myself with ample amounts of space to fill once again. It's relatively easy to make friends throughout all walks of life. Unless, of course, you've recently relocated to a new city, are transitioning into an entirely different career, don't have kids, don't drink, and are in your mid-30s. Check, 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 check. Oh, and you have social anxiety, of course. At least I have the effervescent Kevin by my side. And thanks to my antisocial behavior, he almost passed me by as well. It's a bit easier to acclimate in social climates, thanks to a shield I can conveniently hide behind in the form of my fiancé. You see, what I've learned about myself is that I like to observe before I discern who I'd like to open up to. And with the affirmation of certain co-stars I looked up to behaving similarly, I knew I was in good company with this approach. Of course, this would inevitably earn us the label of difficult in my business, as an eager-to-please, desperate-for-approval attitude was most often expected and appreciated in actors. Being a bitch is not. And outside of the industry I grew up in, it would earn me the labels detached, removed, cold, or antisocial to everyone else. But it's not just having a yin to my yang that's helped pull me out of the past to focus on the needs of my present. It's the realization that I need community in the first place. I suppose when you've always had something at your disposal, you don't properly realize just how much you rely on it to begin with. And in the wake of our recent mass exodus, that's exactly what I've discovered I'm left with. Depravity. People to talk to. People to relate with. People to rely on. People to distract me. People to balance me. Can you imagine a domesticated bobcat in captivity? Well, most of the time, at least now, that's kind of how I feel. So I start this piece by saying we can't rebuild if we don't make the space to do so, which is really, really true. This is a lesson I've continued to experience multiple times throughout my life that I somehow always seem to forget where I get really caught up in the loss and mourning of that loss that I fail to acknowledge that loss is preparing me for immense gain. You have to clear out space in order to rebuild, right? That's why when we actually literally build homes, we have to grade the area before we can actually put down the foundation and build the framing. And when we do this, when we make space we overlook because we're so overwhelmed by what we're letting go of or what we're being forced to let go of. We overlook all that's possible. We kind of talked about this in the last episode where we don't 
always see the opportunity in something right away. And this coincides with that. We need to recognize that when our community dwindles, yes, it sucks and it hurts and there's pain. Whether they've just simply moved away or you've lost them on a very permanent scale, the loss will be replaced by gain. And the loss is preparing us for that next chapter. And we should look toward it with excitement rather than fear. We should think, okay, maybe this one person I kind of had a contentious relationship with, but I was friends with them for so long, for instance. Maybe they're not meant to be in my life anymore. A reason, a season, a lifetime. Maybe their season is over and it's expired. Letting go of them is going to suck, but on your journey, you might find somebody that is like the new and improved version of that person. In other words, they're serving kind of the same relationship, but there's all these added benefits that you weren't getting from that other person. And it wasn't until you let that person go that you could look towards the future and recognize all you'd be gaining in that loss's place. It's very easy to forget that or let it go by the wayside. And for that matter, a reason a season a lifetime, even if you think someone's season has ended, it doesn't mean they're not going to come back in a different season. One of my favorite stories to tell people is I was born in Elmhurst, Illinois, and my sister is three and a half years older than me. And when I was born, she was friends with this guy named Jeff. Guy, he was also a child, but he and my sister were the same age. And so our parents became friends and they were both pregnant at the same time. And then my friend Jill, Jeff's sister, was born one month after me. So Jill and I spent basically being newborns together all the way up until about four when my family moved to Arizona. Well, I didn't reconnect with Jill again until we were maybe 10 or 11 because we were doing soccer tournaments. I think she like came to Arizona for a club tournament. And then I didn't see her again after that until Los Angeles. I was living in Burbank working on Days of Our Lives. Our parents were talking and catching up and it came out that Jill was also living in Burbank and neither she nor I knew that. Well, our parents put us in touch together, and it turned out she was only two blocks away from me. So we ended up reconnecting. One of my favorite things to say is she, I found out she was a smoker. I was totally horrified because I was just thinking of her as like this 10-year-old still, and I'm like, she's way too young to smoke. But she and I ended up moving in together, and we lived together for a year, and she was um, going to school to become a makeup artist. Well, she kept getting so many jobs back in the Midwest that she ultimately moved back. Well, then I guess she moved to Louisiana to do some work and then she moved to Atlanta. And then it was around that time I booked my role on Sleepy Hollow, which brought me back to Atlanta. And so she and I were once again living in the same city. And so it just constantly our lives would run parallel and then we'd intersect and then parallel and then intersect. And that happens a lot. Um, another good friend of mine from high school named April came back into my life recently. And those are the friends that you know are really good true friends because you pick back up like no time has passed and in fact last night I just saw one of my friends named Mackenzie who I hadn't seen in four years same thing felt like no time had passed she doesn't live in California anymore either and I think that that's been one of my difficult struggles is this is kind of a new phase in my life where I'm I'm having a challenge because I haven't been through it yet. It's not like my friend groups are changing or growing apart. People's lives are going in different directions as I've experienced in the past. 
it's this pandemic. It's caused people to relocate and move. And I said it a few episodes back, my last friend was was moving to Tennessee and that's it. I have no one. And it's been hard to kind of rebuild this community, especially because I'm just looking back at the rubble of my life thinking, I spent 20 years in this state. I built those friendships, those work relationships, a community in my old neighborhood. And all that has been wiped away. And it leaves me going, what the fuck was it all for if they were just going to move away? And it's not that those friends went anywhere mentally or emotionally. They're always just a phone call or a plane ride or a FaceTime away, which is wonderful. But they're not, you know, down the street. They're not local enough to where our kids are going to grow up together. And that's something I feel I'm missing out on that has me totally distracted because I'm mourning that. I'm mourning that loss and I'm failing to look towards the future of what I can gain instead. So I have this inner circle that's still intact. They're just not local anymore, which bums me out, but I'm trying to get myself to look at it as, hey, Actually, what's wonderful is you have a free place to stay in all these different states. (laughs) And for that matter, just a reason to go travel more, which is something I've been bitching and moaning about wanting to do more of anyway. So in addition to those people that I know I can rely on and count on that are going to be there till the end and have been since the beginning, a lot of my friends now, I can build a whole new community and just have that much more fulfillment in my life. And really quickly, before I pick up on that point, I do want to say something for our listeners who are like me that are getting married later in life, as a lot of people are doing now. The one thing I will tell you is very cool about planning your wedding is your guest list is so much smaller because you know who your true friends are. I feel like every wedding I participated in, I no longer talk to those people. And everybody that is in my bridal party is basically who would be invited to my wedding outside of my family. There really aren't acquaintances coming. It's people that have been in my life for over a decade at least. And that's really, really cool. So if you're bummed you're getting married later in life, because there is some bummer to it. A lot of my family is no longer alive. But That's a silver lining you can focus on if you want to. So going back to rebuilding new communities now. I do have a lot of social anxiety. It is very hard for me to go and meet people. I'm not sure if that makes me an introverted extrovert or maybe I'm an extroverted introvert. I'm not entirely sure. I could just be an introverted introvert. But the thing is, if you saw me in a social setting and I come up to you you would think I'm very extroverted. But most of the time, I'm observing before I take initiative to go out. And it's been very convenient because Kevin's very extroverted. So he represents the relationship, so to speak, and and that helps break the ice. But I have just been burned so many times by friends that I really like to sit on the sidelines and observe before I determine who I'm going to open up to, what I'm going to tell each person that I interact with because the truth is my information has become very sacred to me. Like I said, I've been burned many times. 
aside from the episode Fool Me Once, Shame on You, Fool Me Twice, That's How Bitches Are Made, that episode. That was somebody that had come in and out of my life multiple times that I gave multiple chances to. And that was kind of the nail in the coffin that really, when that all was said and done, that really changed the way I looked at friendships and how I entered friendships. And to be quite frank, it has saved me so many times. So I'm going to start to dish and give you a couple examples of what I mean. There was this friend that I made that like immediately we had a very strong connection, which is what immediately made me skeptical. I think you might recall me saying this in previous episodes as well. I don't believe in first impressions because I always tend to end up liking who I don't initially like and I tend to not love who I initially adored. Not always, but a lot. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And this is also why I kind of sit back and temper myself and observe because I get very much caught up in how people are presenting themselves or I used to, I should say. And now I've become very good at reading between the lines. So I have this good friend who we had an instant connection. This friendship reminds me a lot of the farmer. She was super into me and immediately started saying things like, she's one of my best friends when she would refer to me. And we have so much in common. And this is so great. And she would kind of try to insert herself by planning things for me on my behalf just really, really quickly, which as we've talked about in the past is a sign of broken boundaries. So I immediately saw that. And then she would do certain things that reminded me of Lorena. And I would pull away a little bit because I'm like, okay, this is behavior I recognize that in the past I ultimately came to realize was very toxic and dangerous so it would cause me to take more steps back which just as a result would cause her to take more steps forward and so I always kind of kept her at arm's length and it was doing that that allowed me to not invest myself so much that when the other shoe dropped I didn't really get hurt I ended up feeling like yeah that's kind of how I saw things ending No harm, no foul. The story is, I felt like she was using me to get to one of my male friends that she wanted to date. And um, ultimately, when the feelings were not reciprocated or there was miscommunication about how they both interpreted their relationship, she got very upset with me for not siding with her, which if you knew the details and you listened to this podcast, you would know why. I didn't feel as though she was taking accountability for her actions, which led to her ultimate disappointment. And that's not to say that he had zero accountability. But at the end of the day, she was putting up with behavior that she shouldn't have been. And that's no one's fault but hers. That's how I feel. Not to mention the fact that he was my friend for over a decade before they even got together. So the notion that I would side with her and end my friendship with him was ridiculous to me. And then 
couple all that with the fact that we're all in our 30s. And for me, there's a level of adulthood that you need to have to understand. Like sometimes relationships just don't work out and you can't take them personally. When you're in your 20s, you're learning that. But when you're in your 30s, you should have learned that. And so if you don't, for me, I perceive that as unnecessary drama and I just, and quite frankly, a lack of boundaries and a little bit of mental instability. She stopped answering my call. She stopped responding to my texts. In fact, it was me reaching out to her to check in on her and her giving me the dot, dot, dots in a text and then never actually sending me something. That was how how our relationship ended. And I knew that this was a female emotional trap. She was wanting me to get all insecure about her not responding to me and continue to reach out more and more and more so she felt like she had control and power and I would prove how much I actually liked her. And I don't do that shit. So I cut it off. I was like, okay, if you're not going to respond to me, like grow up. And I and I moved on. And then coincidentally enough, a mutual friend that we had reached out to me a couple weeks ago, and she is in her 20s, saying that the same person was basically performing psychological warfare on her and making her feel really insecure and doing the same thing. It just affirmed that the litmus test I've preached about on this podcast and the litmus test that I've developed and kind of live by, my own private code, if you will, is and has been working out for me. But there's been countless other times, too, where I've just felt used and abused after I booked Dumb and Dumber. I had a lot of people coming out from the woodwork, which that was very obvious, but it was the new people coming into my life that I was naive enough to think we actually had a connection when really I now look back in retrospect and think "Mm, they were probably using me to propel their career depending on there's a specific person I have in mind when I say that or they thought that I was cooler or more famous than they ultimately realized I was and then they stopped being my friend. I've just learned a lot about being used and abused. And even now to this day, there was recently a party I was invited to and I wanted to bring people to it. I asked if that was okay and it wasn't, but the excuse of why it wasn't was just so fucking lame. I knew it was a lie and I was just thinking to myself, you know, I'd have a lot more respect for you if you were just honest. Just tell me you don't want people you don't know because you have COVID concerns. <laughs> and it was all this other stuff about blaming neighbors. And I just saw through it right away. And then later in the evening, when they had a lot to drink, they reached out and said that, why don't we come over now? And I just thought, this is so transparent. And I just don't have time to entertain this in my life. And so these are the things that have been happening that have been discouraging me recently because it feels like the people that are left locally are getting smaller and smaller and smaller because I'm like they don't pass my litmus test and sure I could have acquaintances but I don't really want that what's the point there's no quality there I'd rather sit at home and engage and indulge my homebody tendencies or call my older friends or go take a trip and visit them so there's been there's been a lot of fallout for a lot of different reasons but Kevin and I have had these conversations a lot recently about who we want in our lives what kind of people we want in our lives as I said the board has been kind of cleared so let's find a way to curate it moving forward so that we're building back better I fucking hate saying that because it's a political reference and I always try to keep politics out of this as much as I can but that is what's happening. We're building back better. We're learning from our mistakes and making improvements. And so I had said to him, you know, I really only desire to be friends with prickly people. People that I would describe as gruff, um, rough around the edges, 
kind of more curt, a little more standoffish. Basically, they have no fucks to give and they don't give a fuck if you like them. Those are the people that I like, that I want to be friends with. In the desert, those people are very easy to find. And a lot of people get turned off of that because as I've, I've said and continue to reiterate, people don't like to engage with that. It's not warm. It's not inviting. It, it feels scary and unsafe sometimes or it can make you feel insecure. And what Kevin and I have discovered is a trend within us, both independently and together, is we've always gotten along better with people that are older than us. And when we started to explore why this is, we realized it's because they have more life experience and they have more to teach us. And they are, they do tend to be more rough around the edges. And I think for me at least, there is an interest and an intrigue to where I want to break down their walls. And I know that I can because I have those same walls and I understand them. And one of my favorite things is that I am a really, really bubbly person, but I can flip that bitch switch in a second if you cross me. And most of the time, the minute I do, it's like instantaneously that person that was being a dick to me suddenly has respect. There's a mutual respect. And I think there is this kind of almost like bitter resentment chip on the shoulder from people like that where they hate you for being happy. I've worked on eliminating that as much as I can from my life but I think a lot of people haven't and so when they initially see me as like bright and bubbly and sunny like I honestly have to tell you I feel I don't know for sure but I feel like that was Jeff Daniels first impression of me that I was bubbly and annoying and kind of ignorant to a lot and then the more he 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 was very like gruff and rough around the edges and the more that didn't bother me the more he let his guard down and then I just fucking love him. He was so amazing and so cool and down to earth and real. And I think that that's his litmus test, right? Everybody that I'm talking about with this specific disposition has a litmus test. So when you're up against somebody that's prickly, you have to recognize they're not mean, they're not assholes, the majority of them. It's a wall that they've created to protect themselves. One of my favorite pieces of writing I've ever come across was when I compared a bitch to a snail or a turtle. They are in the shell, but the shell is armored to protect this very, very soft and fragile creature inside. So it's like bikers. If you think about guys that drive motorcycles and have tattoos and the long beards and they're they're like heavier and and they dress in all leather and they look super intimidating. This is a stereotype, but you know exactly the type I'm talking about. Those guys get this rep for being like, oh, you don't want to fuck with them. You don't want to double cross them. And obviously some of them you don't. But I have found nine times out of 10, those are the sweetest motherfuckers in the whole wide world. They're so kind. It's just a shell. It's like designed to keep the wrong people away. And I, I want to give people that insight because that is how I operate. I do feel like I have kind of a, a more prickly shell depending on the situation and scenario, but most of the time I do. Because I've been fucked over so many times, I don't want people in that don't work for it. And it's not like you need to prove yourself to me. It's passing my litmus test, which I'm not asking you to do. There's just certain behaviors, mannerisms, manners. Like for instance, one of my things, if you ask somebody how they are and they say good and they don't ask you back, I'm like, fuck you, you're dead to me. 
That tells me so much about a person. So much about a person. And it's never been wrong. Ever. If you're a person that doesn't do that, maybe consider start doing that. <laughs> but it's little things like that 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 are seemingly small, but that give you so much more information than anything else ever could. And it, it keeps you safe from being screwed. It protects you from trusting the wrong people or opening up to the wrong people that, you know, might use your information against you. So I just wanted to cover those bases, kind of explain the different types of people and and how socially awkward people or people that have social anxiety actually feel, think, and operate. I also do get just overwhelmed by attention. I don't like attention at all. And I feel like when I enter places where there's a lot of people and they come up and introduce themselves, it makes me feel awkward. That's the only way I can say it. Because it's not uncomfortable. It's awkward. I feel awkward. And a lot of times I'll feel awkward going up and introducing myself because it makes me feel like I'm being presumptuous or something. I get very heady. But then you have things happen like what happened the other night, which I'm about to get into, where I'll surprise myself and I'll be very social and I'll go out and I'll introduce myself. Basically, what I've realized is I'm gauging the energy in the room. And if I feel like those people have similar interests or similar energies, it's something I pick up on subconsciously that just naturally lowers my defenses and I feel like I can be more myself and one of those things is when people are older so Kevin and I went to a party the other night and to be honest with you I don't even know if these people are older than us I'm assuming just because of their maturity some of them do look older but some of them could very well be my age our one of our friends is dating a woman and we met her for the first time a few months back and this time she had a gathering and we went and Everybody there we loved. Everybody was super outgoing, really laid back, very confident, very comfortable, very forthcoming, very friendly and accepting, non-judgmental. And not to mention there was people, there were people from Mexico, France, there was a, a guy from Persia, uh, a German fellow, an Australian woman, and then our friend who is Latvian. And it was so cool because there were so many different t- kinds of people, but we were also similar. And that's what was very, very cool. Everyone was a little bit nerdy and they were like into arts, but they were really relaxed and accepting. Most importantly for me, they were confident. In other words, they weren't threatened or insecure. And I do find, I know how this sounds, but I do find that people are threatened or I make them feel insecure whenever they meet me. And I don't know if it's because I'm brashly honest or because I'm socially awkward or what, or because I have those two sides of me with the bitch switch where I'm very bubbly and then I'm very bitchy where they don't I don't feel people trust me. I believe I've said that before. There's no reason for them not to, but I have found that most of the people that I don't feel trust me or that I get a weird vibe from, I do so because they're insecure. And it's tends to be a projection. I don't really understand it, but I also don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. The people that are confident are the people that I never have any problem with. And and coincidentally, those are the same people that tend to inspire me, people that I tend to look up to, and the people that teach me the most. I think that's why I like 
older people. And again, like I've said before, young people can teach you things too. But I just find a connection with older people more naturally than I do younger people. But we went to this party and we had such a great time. And we went to that party after we went to an art show that my friend Mackenzie, she was in town, invited us to. And where we went to the art show, the venue that it was being held at was run by these two people that host yoga retreats. And we had never met them and they're locals. And part of the reason you don't, it's very hard to meet people out here in the desert is because everyone kind of creates their own homestead. So there's no need to leave. Like Kevin and I are a perfect example of that. I have my art studio. He has his workshop. There's no real reason to leave, which also makes it hard to go out especially when I don't want to spend money. I know how much things cost to make. I know how much alcohol is. I cannot justify going out and spending that amount of money when I know I can save so much just by doing it myself, which is also how I feel about building and making art and all those things. But so we finally got out into the community and we met these people that have their own homestead, that they host yoga retreats and have sound baths. And We just innately connected right away and they took us on like a private tour of the whole space while the art show was going on and we we just connected with them on so many levels and there was a moment where they were telling us all the work that they had done they'd only done in a year and a half and I looked at her and I said oh my god it only took you a year and a half and she looked at me and said yeah thank you yes as if No one had ever seen her before because people always think a year and a half is a very long time when you're renovating. But we know from firsthand experience that is very quick, especially for the square footage that they had because they have a, a commercial space as well. So we connected on that. We connected because we're both into astrology and sound baths and renovating and bettering the community. And so we made friends. And this is what happens as a result of saying yes and putting yourself out there, no matter how uncomfortable it might make you, which is the point of this episode. What I've been working on is leaning into the uncomfortable because I know that it will actually serve me more. And it's only uncomfortable because I haven't mastered it yet. And how do you master something? You practice it. So we've been practicing going out and it's very funny. We've, we're not good at socializing anymore. I don't know that many people are after the last years, but we've gone out to restaurants even though we know we can save money. Once a month, we've decided we need to go to restaurants because we need to put ourselves out there in the community and make friends. And there's a wonderful bartender at a restaurant here that we've become friends with that I know I want to hang out with. She seems so rad. And then we went out to another restaurant a little bit further away. And we ran into three people that we knew that we hadn't seen in at least a year. And it was just, it's just been really great and affirming. And in having these exchanges, we're noticing that we're gravitating towards and inviting in that better quality of person that I talked about at the start of this is, yes, we've lost a lot of people, but look at the new type of people we're bringing in. It's a kind of relationship we've never before experienced that's built on something real from the beginning. And it's a deeper connection. And that's that's helping our community. Another huge turning point, which actually was kind of the tipping point of us going out. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And I love this story. It's so beautiful. The day that my dog Murphy died, I I always do something. I bring his ashes and I go sit with him at the top of a mountain. And the mountain is always different. And I didn't want to drive into the national park, so I went to one nearby the house. And I walked and I was sitting at the top of the hill with his ashes and with Finn and just kind of like sitting there contemplating and reflecting. And all of a sudden I see these two people down the hill and I can tell they're on their way hiking. And I was like, God damn it. People are going to come up. They're going to ruin my fucking time. They're probably tourists. How did they find me? I thought this was a local spot. There I was just going down on that negative, negative, negative. Well, the closer they get, because I wear glasses, I'm nearsighted and I didn't have them on. The closer they get, I realize they're not tourists. They're not even young. They're probably 10 to 15 years older than me. And then they stop and talk to me. And they're also foreign. <laughs> they're South African. And maybe maybe the trend here is I just need to be friends with Europeans. Uh, anyway, so they... I realize that South African is not European. I'm just going back to the dinner party that I was at. Foreigners. I just need to be friends with foreigners. So he was with his wife. And it turned out he stopped and talked to me. And he saw that, you know, I had my camelback backpack on. And I looked like a hiker. And he asked me if I liked hiking. And he told me he organizes a local hiking group just for locals. No tourists invited. He takes them to all these really cool spots where no one is. And he keeps it as a secret. He doesn't want anyone knowing where these spots are. And he was like, but you should come. We meet here on this day at this time. I couldn't go because we were going out of town and then I think he flagged me and Kevin down one day in my car that he recognized and stopped me and he just very bluntly and this is what I mean I love people like this he said you didn't show up and I said I'm so sorry I was I had to go out of town and I totally forgot and I never got your number and he said you have to keep networks alive you have to keep the connection that is how you build community it was just weird timing for me not to mention the way he worded it which really spoke to me again just very direct I am very responsive to that but it was also just the timing of it I thought was very strange because that was when I was kind of in the height of feeling alone and like my community had disintegrated and I've never been good at networking I just haven't I always feel like when I try to do it it seems like I'm looking for something from the person and I realize that that's because that's how I felt when people would do it with me And he made me put my number in his phone and he said, call me. Do not text. I want a voice connection. And then he said, we're going for another hike Sunday. Be there. And so we went. And it was very easy to be like, well, we don't have someone to watch the dog. But we we made it happen. And we went and it was an all-day adventure. And it was with a group of people that were were older than us. And they totally out-hiked us. It was a 10-mile hike there and back. And it was one of the most fun times that we had. And it was great because we got to know not just people of the community, that people that really formed this community. They are not part of the COVID rush or the LA rush that are infiltrating this area. They are and have been here for multiple decades. They know this desert like the back of their hand. And it was very cool to be let in on this very unique sacred secret that they felt we were worthy enough to deserve. 
And there was a moment where we took a break for lunch for like an hour and we all got to talk and get to know each other. And it was wonderful. But I knew in that initial meeting where he said, call me, don't text, keep, make sure you keep networking. That told me a lot about the type of person that he is. And then the effort that he put in to make sure that we came, that spoke so loudly to me. And that was the beginning of Kevin and I really working to say yes more because this one instance that we had, the reward and payoff was so great. And not just for enjoyment and joy and happiness and fulfillment and connection, but because what tends to happen when you're building a community is people exchange information and they can give you insight that helps you through hurdles that you might be up against currently. The following and final story I'm going to share is Kevin was doing deliveries for a minute to supplement income during COVID. And one of the people that he delivered to lived so far away, it was nearly impossible for them to get deliveries. So they quite cleverly asked if they could get his number and like basically utilize him as a private delivery when whenever he happened to be out working. Well, that connection ended up providing us with resources to navigate our way through this thing I keep saying that we're going through and not just resources valuable resources and they kind of badgered that out of him because they wanted him to do deliveries and he was like I can't I can't I'm doing x y and z I just have so much on my plate and so they they said what's on your plate like maybe we can help take it off and then you can help us with what we need because they wanted him to start doing some building things for him and that's how it works and that might seem like duh but I'll be the first one to say, growing up in a city like Los Angeles, that's not the norm. People don't help each other. And if they do, it's because they want something out of it. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart always. It's a, I'm going to scratch your back because you can scratch mine. And yes, that's kind of the terms here. Let me help take something off your plate so you can help me with my plate. But it's a little bit different because this person is offering to help us through something so that he can then also pay us to help him so it's not it's not a hey uh let me do this so you can help me with my career or or introduce me to people that you know can accelerate my path there's just more earnest genuine desire to help somebody out here and I know that that's the case in a lot of places in the U.S. It's just not been the norm or what I've been exposed to in my lifetime in the last 20 years. So the reason why community is so important is because it's how we band together. It's how we bestow wisdom and education and utilize resources to help one another, to make each other stronger, and also their strength in numbers. It's how we combat injustices. One of the the most discouraging, disappointing, and heartbreaking things to me about this whole pandemic is the division it created because of difference of opinion. We've talked about before how people having differing opinions is a good thing. That is what makes us better and stronger. If everybody agreed and thought the same way, there's no room for evolution. There's no room for growth. Sure, you could be like, well, everybody would think the same way, which is my way, and my way is peace. Peace for all, and these are the ways to get peace. But what somebody with a differing opinion would then share with you is, yes, but perhaps that path has all these negative drawbacks that you haven't considered that would then create these barriers. 
that you're you're not having the foresight to recognize. And how can somebody bring that up if their experience or opinions isn't different than your own? Differences are a good thing. We need to stop seeing them as divisive and as a bad thing and saying, well, this person's different than me, so therefore they can't be my friend. Of course, we connect innately with people that share similarities and have similar ways of thinking. I just said that myself. That's part of my new litmus test. But I also said in that same breath, there are people, and perhaps this is why the European or people from other countries is so helpful to me is because their experience is entirely different than my own. So they can only teach me new things and things I don't know about. And I'm doing the same thing for them. In fact, I was asking the man who was from France to teach me French. And this American man who's married to the Mexican woman said to me, well, let me tell you the, the number one rule you need to know about learning another language. And then the French guy said to me, see, he goes, you just need to learn from an American. They're going to explain it to you better than I could because they think like an American. And I thought, yeah, but I want to think like a French person. <laughs> but he made a very valid point. I'm saying, but I want to know firsthand like how to speak French. But he can't tell an English-speaking born person how to shift their way of thinking into another language better than somebody whose first language is English who's already done that. He could help a French person. So I just thought that that was really fascinating. But the point being, these people have similar commonalities. They have commonalities with me. But there's enough differences to where they're teaching me things. And I'm teaching them things that are helping us both grow and evolve and shape opinions or reshape opinions. So it can only be a good thing. The last thing that I want to address in this, and it's only because I made notes, and um, I guess in theory it would have flowed better at the beginning of this, but that's not what happened. Every time I connect with an old friend like I did last night with Mackenzie, it does make me comparative, and it causes me to com contemplate the meaning of where I'm at now. What I mean by that specifically is Mackenzie is somebody that I met through acting, and the trajectories of our life have always kind of been on the same timeline. She booked a really big movie at the same time that I booked Dumb and Dumber. And then our careers didn't really do what we thought that they would after that. And then we both had to change managers. We both went through breakups at the same time. I actually met her through our exes who were friends. And we both had a really hard time getting a job after our last one. Well, she is now working and my career is kind of in a different direction. And part of the reason is because... I've been contemplating what I want the next chapter of my life to look like. And just every time that I think I'm so confident about the choice that I'm at and clear about what really brings me joy, I'll reconnect with someone from my quote-unquote old life and it makes me sad. It makes me long and yearn for what I had. And then I go through this whole cyclical process of realizing why it's over and why I need to leave it in the past and look forward toward the future of these new goals that I've set for myself. But it's hard because, again, it's making peace with the past and letting go in order to create space for the future. In other words, is it possible that I can have this new career if I'm still holding on to remnants of the old one? My old therapist would tell you, no way, Jose. 
Well, she would say, no way, Rachel, because that's my name. But, but wow, Kevin's sense of humor is really rubbing off on me. But it's it's a good one, and I like it. And that's kind of been a, a hard thing, and this was a large part of the conversation we had last night, too, because Mackenzie was talking about they're trying to fix. She's also, we're also both getting married at the same time. We both got engaged at the same time. We're both getting married in the same month. And actually her wedding date is, was my first choice of wedding date, but Kevin wanted a different date. And that was, he made very valid arguments as to why we should go with his. And we did, but that's how similar of a path we are on. It's so crazy. But she and her fiance are trying to figure out now that they can both work remotely, where do they want to live? And she wants to come back to California, but she kind of is in love with Georgia, which is so funny because I love the state of Georgia. I'm not crazy about California. I am in some capacities, but she's going back and forth the same way I'm going back and forth with what I want my future to look like. And part of that is aging and realizing we're at different stages. Once you get married, you start a family. You start realizing things that that are more important to you now versus things that were more important to you then that don't carry as much weight now for whatever reason. And at least for me, I, I do feel like there's a little bit of guilt about admitting that. Or, or it feels kind of like failure. I haven't, I haven't really gotten clear on, on what that feeling is specifically. The point being, I'm doing what I keep saying happens is I'm living in the past, which distracts me from living in the future. And how can I possibly cultivate a future and allow a garden to blossom, if you will, if I'm not fertilizing it or watering it in any way, shape, or form? I just continue to look back in the past and be comparative. And and in doing so, I'm kind of throwing water and fertilizer on the past. But your past can't grow. The thing that grows is the romanticized version of your past that you're now linking to reality. You're thinking that's how life was. It was just so rosy and green and colorful and happy. And it was at times. But I know for a fact that when I was living in that moment, I didn't see it as colorful and beautiful and full of bounty. It only looks that way now because in hindsight, I'm missing it and I'm comparing it to what I lack now because what I lack is just nurturing any kind of garden at all, speaking to that analogy that I started out with. Those are the things that I'd like you to really marinate on and take in this week as we talk about community and again tying it into all these past themes of all the bonus episodes because they are all intertwined and connected in this piece this episode we've talked about living in the past and regret and kind of going back to last week where you talk about power like you can't have that power unless you step inside it and part of stepping inside it is having that acceptance having made the choice to look on the bright side and see the opportunity and then create your own opportunity, build a community, say yes to things that are uncomfortable, lean into them and see what transpires as a result. And the more you nurture and cultivate a garden, it will grow back better than any garden you had before. How could it not? Because if we're doing things right, we're only getting better and stronger as we evolve. So that's all I have to say this week. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Remember to like, share, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, You can message us info at howbitchesaremade.com. Remember to specify if you do not want me to share anything that you write. Otherwise, I will assume that I can. You can also message me at the Rachel Melvin on Instagram. Consistency is key. Stay bitchy, my friends, and we'll see you next week. 
How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin. 